Today, I'm going to be beginning a new sermon series, and it's going to be Messages of Joy from the letter of Paul to the Philippians. And this is going to go on for a number of weeks, Um, and because I have vacation time coming up, it'll, being spread out the way it will be, it'll take us through a fair amount of the summer. And we can always use, I think, it's always good for us to hear some messages of joy from the scriptures. Um, I certainly feel that at this particular time of my life. And so today we will begin this series. And I therefore invite you to join me in this brief prayer for illumination. Heavenly Father, as we gather here to listen to your word, may your spirit open our hearts to the truth that you would impart to us And may our lives be transformed by this encounter with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start out here with Philippians, first chapter, verses 1 through 5. Listen to the word of God. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And the key verse that I'll be concentrating on is verse 3, which says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, since we are dealing with Paul's letter to the Philippians for a number of Sundays, I'd like to give a brief introduction to the entire letter. Now, Paul founded the church at Philippi on his second missionary journey through Asia Minor. And some of the first members included Lydia and her friends. And Lydia had been a dealer in purple cloth, a prominent businesswoman of the time. Um, Another person who was an early part of this church was a girl who was possessed with a spirit of divination, And the Philippian jailer was another part of this church. After Paul left the city, the church stayed in contact with him and often took care of his needs. They were a very generous and giving church. But after a while, and isn't this so often the case, even even today, in our era of instant communication, But it's also, it was especially true then, they fell out of touch with Paul. It's not that they had a dispute or that they got angry with each other or anything like that. Things just kind of petered off. They lost touch. Now, later in life, Paul went to Rome as a prisoner. And it was that occasion that caused the church of Philippi to reestablish contact with him. Now, the immediate occasion for the writing of the the letter to the Philippians 
was Paul receiving a gift from the Christians at Philippi. And they sent it by a man named Epaphrodites. That's a mouthful. Epaphrodites. He became sick on the way to Rome. And it became necessary for Paul to take care of him. The people at Philippi were distressed because they had sent Paul a gift. They had a very well-intentioned deed. But guess what? It became a burden for Paul because the man they sent became sick. Paul learned of their feelings, and so he wrote to the church. Paul wanted to let them know that their kindness meant more to him than any difficulty he had in caring for their messenger. In other words, their kind thoughts, their kind intentions mattered more than that momentary inconvenience that he was suffering. One can say that this book is a love letter. A love letter from Paul to his possibly favorite church. And we've seen other letters that Paul has written that have not been nearly as affectionate or endearing. You'll recall, this is now a few years ago, I preached you the letter to the Galatians, and that was the church that he was angriest at. Uh, There was no lovey-dovey kind of language coming from Paul for them. But for this church, there is. And this is a very personal letter from Paul. Some letters, like the letter to the Romans, are doctrinal. This letter is personal. And it's filled with various forms of the word joy, which is why, as we journey through this letter, we will be looking at different aspects of joy. Now, one of the earliest statements concerns Paul's delight as he remembers his friends at Philippi. As a general, well, I'm going to talk about friendship, the joy that friendship and friends bring to our lives. Uh, As a general rule, of course, friends are important. Elizabeth Barrett Browning once asked Charles Kingsley, tell me the secret of your life that I too make mine, may make mine beautiful. And he replied, I had a friend. Few of us realize how important our friends are and what a contribution they make to our lives. Someone has said that we are fortunate if, when we come to the end of our way, we have even two or three true friends. And that brings to my mind that movie, that wonderful movie that always brings tears to my eyes near the end. I'm very sentimental. Uh, It's a Wonderful Life, where the angel Clarence left a present for George Bailey, a book, and he said, George, anyone who has a friend is not a failure. That's, I think, a paraphrase, but no man is a failure who has a friend, is what he said. Now, we look at Paul, and Paul possessed happy memories as he looked back across the veil of years towards his time with the Philippians. Although he had been away from the Philippians for a long time, he thanked God for his friends, and he remembered them often in prayer. And let us say with boldness that while all of our friends are important, our friends in Christ are our dearest friends. You see, there's a tremendous difference that exists between acquaintances and true friends, and real friends. Often we meet people in 
say, business life or we socialize with them, and they don't know Christ the way that we may know him. And such friendships may, on the surface, seem meaningful, but can they stand the test of time? When a true crisis comes, the friend who knows Christ is able to share with us the deeper meaning of these experiences. And I don't wish to discount close friendships that we have with people who are not Christian, because I have some. I think most of us do. And yet there is that element, that one element of having Christ in your life that is something that I would say is an added guarantee of a meaningful, lasting friendship. Perhaps a friendship can be meaningful and lasting without Christ in the other person's life. I'm not saying it can't. And I don't want to you know, step on anybody's toes or say anything out of line by saying that. But having Christ in the other person's life, as in your life, is just such a wonderful added aspect to a true friendship. Paul loved his Christian friends. He mentioned them often in his letters. Several times he associated his friends uh, with him as co-writers of letters to the churches. And as often as possible, Paul mentioned the good points that his friends had. Even when disappointed with someone, Paul made special mention if that person came back later and proved to be useful. For instance, after John Mark turned back on the first missionary journey, which would have been a terrible disappointment, Paul refused to take him on the second journey. But years later, he included Mark in a list of his friends when writing to Philemon. Also, he wrote to Timothy, Take Mark and bring him with you, for he is important or profitable to me for the ministry. It's good to have a forgiving spirit with friends. Because I think we all have friends who have at some point disappointed us. And, conversely, there have probably been times when we have disappointed friends. And there may be a time for sadness or even anger when that happens. But if you are a true friend to somebody, there will be a reconciliation and a coming together. I had a terrible terrible fight with someone Um, a dear friend of mine uh, we have similar personalities which honestly may be the problem and oh it was terrible the things we said to each other and oh my gosh I can't believe some of the things I said and um, he can't believe some of the things he said but we did eventually reconcile praise God for that because the friendship was there even though it was damaged or obscured by a dispute It was there. And I, well, you may have had similar experiences in your own lives. Now, it's a truism, I suppose. But to make friends and to keep friends, we have to be friends. We can't just expect people to be friends with us if we're not friends with them. The writer of Proverbs reminds us, a man who has friends must show himself to be friendly. And this means doing much more than just performing the niceties of social functions or being polite. To show ourselves friendly means we must act unselfishly towards others. And often, we must take the first step toward establishing the relationship. Jesus said of himself that he came not to be ministered to 
or to be served, but to serve. That's from Mark 10.45. And every Christian should have this attitude toward life. We should not seek what we can get from our friends, but rather what we can do for our friends. And in this way, we do gain friends. No one enjoys being being with a selfish person. I mean, some people may enjoy being selfish, unfortunately. But who enjoys being with a selfish person? I can't imagine anybody who does. And Jesus said we are his friends if we do the things that he commanded us to do. And this means that friendship carries obligation. And again, um, when I've had disputes with friends... Um, it's you know it's never entirely one-sided. There are usually two people at fault. Um, I've had to humble myself and ask you know and say that I was sorry for what I did. I mean I might be thinking to myself, well you did things too, but if I wanted a guarantee that the friendship would continue, I couldn't just wait for somebody else to apologize to me. I had to go out and apologize first. A humbling thing to do, but the right thing to do as well. And so we're talking about friendship and Christian friendship. And so let us not forget that the greatest friend we have or can have is Jesus Christ himself. The writer of Proverbs also said, There is a friend who is closer than a brother. And this marvelous Old Testament saying really alludes to our Savior. Because no one stays as close to us as our Savior He delivers us from sin, yes, but he does much more than that. Jesus stays with us through every step of life's journey. He motivates us to acts of service and compassion, and he gives us the strength to perform the work that we should do. A large transport was crossing the Atlantic during World War II. And the captain saw a submarine rise and let loose a torpedo straight at the ship. And he shouted through the speaker, Men, this is it! A small escorting destroyer was nearby. Its captain saw the submarine and the torpedo. Without hesitating a moment, he said, Full steam ahead. The destroyer went into the path of the torpedo and took the full impact. The destroyer was blown apart. Every member of the crew was lost. And the captain of the transport said later, the captain of the destroyer was my best friend. I understand more clearly now a verse in the Bible. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And we know that Jesus laid down his life for his friends. But what he did was even more than that. He also laid down his life for his enemies. And in fact, this is the way that Jesus makes his enemies his friends to this very day. It may happen supernaturally. I've heard from more than one source 
wonderful, amazing stories of the Christian faith spreading through Muslim lands because of dreams. Muslims are having dreams of Jesus Christ and they are becoming secret believers in the Lord. So it can happen supernaturally. But we should not just sit back and assume that will always happen. We have to be friends to those who would be our enemies. And that's very hard. That is truly very hard. Can we do that? Can we be friends to those who we, well, who are our enemies or who we think may be our enemies? Sometimes we just think people are enemies and maybe they're not. Can we be friends? Should we be? Well, well, yes, we should be. The question is, can we or will we be friends to Muslims who want to come to this country or anybody who's different from us? That really is a test of the gospel right there. We can thank God for our friends. And we rejoice with every memory of them. And we thank God even more for the friend who laid down his life for us. Because I talked about how Jesus laid down his life for his friends, yes, but in a sense, aren't all of us enemies of God because of original sin? Are we not all sinners? Do we not always offend God? Are we not in our natural state, the state of the flesh, the enemies of God? And yet God sent Jesus Christ to even lay down his life for us. How can we how can we model how you know, Jesus modeled it for us? How can we do that? How well can we do that for others? To conclude these remarks on friendship, I want to say something about memories. Memories can either bless us or burn us. Memories that recall past joys linger to make our life happy in retrospect. And I think we all have joyful memories of some things in the past. And we can and we should devote perennial gratitude to God. This type of memory enriches our moral worth. And as people reflect on us, do they remember the good things that we have done for them and the many ways in which we have strengthened their lives? And do we likewise often think with gratitude about those people who have meant so much to us? In all probability, if we reflect with thanksgiving on the contribution that friends have made to us, people are praising God that they have known our friendship in days past. And the greatest memory, I would say, though, is the memory of that time where we met Jesus as Savior, Lord, and Friend. To say that we remember a time in our lives when Jesus became our personal friend will be the greatest memory that we can have. And I've told you, I've told you I have that memory in my life of the Billy Graham Crusade at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia in 1992, the time that I became conscious of my 
relationship with Jesus Christ and I committed my life to him as Lord and Savior, that is truly the top memory of my life. And so as all of us strive to remember that time that we came to Christ, we can love him more. And as we love him, joy will be constant and abiding. And praise God for that incalculable gift. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.